Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. We are in Genesis chapter 30, and if you have a Bible, uh, you want to go ahead and turn there to Genesis 30. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We have some in the back. We'd love to give you one that you can use, and you can even take it if you don't have a Bible. But uh, Anybody need any Bibles? All right, we're good. All right, that's awesome. Okay, so we're continuing our study through the book of Genesis, and we've been looking at, of course, uh, last week I was at a funeral, so I wasn't here, and, and uh, the week before that we had our open house dedication service, so it's been a few weeks, but we've been going through uh, looking at the life of Jacob. That's where we are in the book of Genesis, and, uh, you know, I don't want to go into it too much, but you remember the story, you know, Jacob, uh, he kind of sort of tricked his brother out of uh, the, the, the birthright. And, uh, and then, I don't know if he really tricked him, but he got the birthright from his brother. He connived, he worked out a way to get it. But later on, he deceived his father uh, into giving him the blessing of the firstborn. And, and so Jacob, we saw, is, is he's kind of a conniver, and he comes from a family of connivers. I mean, his mother, Rebecca, you know, she was kind of conniving uh, Isaac, too. We talked about that when we were in that chapter. And so now um, Jacob is gone, and uh, he's met... Uh, King Khan, which I call him, because uh, Jacob might have been a conniver with a little c. Uh, his uncle Laban was a conniver with a capital C. He was the king of Khan. And uh, so we're going to look at uh, today. Jacob has gone. Uh, he's married. Uh, well, he was planning on marrying one wife. He ended up with two wives uh, through some deceit that Laban did. And uh, so we're at this point now in this story. And, uh, you know, Jacob's just, man, he came there, and, you know, to give him credit, he's been pretty honest. He's been hardworking and as he's been there in uh, Padan Aram. And his uncle Laban is just ripping him off and taking advantage of him. And, uh, man, I just every time he turns around, Uncle Laban is just, you know, he's shafting him, basically. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you're here this morning and, and, and maybe you've in a situation with an employer or maybe a relationship or something where you're just, you feel like you're being taken advantage of. And uh, I want to encourage you. I'm glad you're here this morning because we're going to take a look at, at uh, Jacob because he was definitely in the same boat. And we're going to see what the Lord's going to do in Jacob's life this morning. So verse 25 of chapter 30, if you'll follow along with me, it says, And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. Laban, uh, excuse me, Jacob had served Laban for 14 years uh, for both Rachel and Leah. By this time he's had 11 sons, one daughter that we know of that was named uh, Dinah. We've probably had other daughters. So he's got a pretty big family. He's fulfilled his obligations to Laban. That's one thing you got to give him credit for. He fulfilled his obligation of working seven years for each wife. And now his desire is to go back to his homeland, go back to return to, to Canaan and to establish a home for himself there. And you know, that's a healthy desire. You know, young, a young father, a husband, man, they, they, he should provide for his family. And, and you know, that's Jacob. But I got to tell you something. Jacob's not really a young guy, okay? He's probably in his mid to late 80s at this point. So, but back then, that was kind of like middle age. But anyways, so he you know, he's wants to go back and start a family. You know, or not, He's already started one. He wants to provide for his family and, and not just be under Laban's uh, tent there. And you know, I really believe that the Lord put it on Jacob's heart to return. 
I think the Lord wanted him to do that. We'll see that as we go into the scripture here. So verse 27. So, so, so basically Jacob's gone to Laban and says, that, you know, I want to leave. And uh, verse 27, and Laban said to him, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. Now, when Laban says, I've learned by experience, it actually means he's divined by his idols. Laban was an idolater. And uh, so, you know, he says, man, I, I know my idols have revealed to me. Well, it doesn't matter if the, his idols reveal it to him. Laban was smart enough to know that he was being blessed by Jacob being there. And what a testimony that is. You know, I, I, just think about this. Are you a blessing to your employers? Are they like, man, don't leave. I don't want you to leave because you're such a... Or are they like, yeah, hey, there's the door, man. See you later. You know, we should be a blessing. We should be the best employees uh, in our companies because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Psalms 1, verse 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, he shall prosper. Man, that should be our story this morning. Well, anyway, so Laban's like, he doesn't want to lose out. I mean, he's being blessed by Jacob being there. And so he says, don't leave. Name me your price. I don't know if you've ever had a boss. I've never had a boss say that to me. You know, tell me what you want and I'll give you a stay. But that's what he said. You know, money can be a big motivator in making a decision. I don't know if you guys have experienced. It's been a big motivator in my life, you know, uh, you know, in staying or moving. But listen, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's God's will for you. Just because you're getting a pay raise doesn't necessarily mean it's God's will. Now, to a Laban and to a Jacob at this point in his life, it's a motivator. It's a pretty good motivator. And so verse 29 says, So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed me, uh, has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. Jacob's like, don't pay me anything. Just let me pass through your flocks. Listen, today. Let me pass through your flocks today. I'll remove all the speckled, spotted, and brown among the goats and the sheep. That'll be my wages. That way, you know, you'll have the other sheep and goats. There'll be a clear delineation between what's yours and what's mine. Now, Alfred Eidersheim, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a guy that wrote some commentaries and stuff. He says, in the East, goats were mostly black and sheep were mostly white. That was the dominant gene of those animals. So having a speckled or a spotted or a brown one was the recessive gene. And I feel always intimidated because I know that there's medical people here that probably could talk circles around me, but I'm going to try to sound like I know what I'm saying, okay? So anyways, so but that's the recessive gene. And... Uh, you know, Jacob, like I said, he's got a conniving past, but he has proven to be a hard worker. 
He did fulfill his obligations to Laban. And now, man, he's being really generous in this deal. I mean, it's, it's like an offer you can't pass up. Um, and he's just basically asking for the animals that display the recessive gene traits. So, you know, through statistics, normally that's going to be far fewer than the ones that have the dominant genes, right? The white or the black ones. So verse 34, and Laban said, oh, that a word according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. You listen to Laban, and oh, you know, that a word according to your word. That's kind of like old for like, man, what a deal. <laughs> you know, he hasn't, there's no need to dicker. Because it's already a lopsided deal in Laban's favor. Uh, but then, remember Jacob said, let me pass through the flocks today and remove all those ones with the recessive genes. Then that dirty dog, man, Laban, he removes all the animals with the recessive gene traits before Jacob even has a chance to take any of them. Uh, so now the odds are even greater in Laban's favor, because now basically Jacob's going to have to wait till one of those animals is born, and and you know wait until those recessive genes are, are are you know he sees an animal that's brown or whatever, rather than starting out with two that are ready. Again, I'm showing my ignorance, but rather than starting out with, with two that have recessive genes and you know kind of having uh, you know animals born from them. What's interesting here, Laban gives his sons those animals, and it says that he goes three days' journey from Jacob. Why did he have to go three days' journey? You ever thought about that? Maybe not. Why so far? Why didn't he just go like one day's journey away or a few hours away? Why didn't he just go to the other side of the pasture? Why? Here's why. Because cheaters assume everyone cheats just like they do. Man, they, they, they think, every, you know, a liar thinks everybody else lies. Cheaters think that everybody else cheats. Because, listen, if the roles were reversed and it was Jacob who, you know, Jacob would have had to need to put three days between uh, him and Laban just to keep Laban honest. So he's treating uh, Jacob basically, you know, he's assuming that Jacob's a cheater. And like I said, we've been studying the life of Jacob. We've seen that he is a con artist, but he's met his match in Laban, his uncle. Jacob has a reputation back home as a con artist, but Laban is King Con. I came up with that last night. I thought it was really cool. <laughs> Laban here thinks he's just pulled off the best con possible, right? I mean, he's outmaneuvered Jacob. But what Laban doesn't realize is you can't outmaneuver the Lord. The Lord's on Jacob's side. And it's obvious now to Jacob that he's just been had one more time again by Laban. There goes Uncle Laban again, ripping me off. So now Jacob comes up with a plan to change the odds. See, now the old Jacob's kind of coming to the surface here. Verse 37. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar, and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods, and the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. It's a weird scripture, by the way. You know, does that mean that he was doing some kind of like a prenatal suggestion, or was it some ancient, you know, form of animal husbandry? I have no idea. And if you go to the commentaries, they don't either, okay? Nobody really knows. But in my humble opinion, I think it's an old wives' tale. I just think it is. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard old wives' tales. My mom was notorious for old wives' tales. I remember as a little kid, she used to say, 
don't lay on your back at night because you get nightmares. And so if you imagine, a little, what little kid wants to have nightmares, right? And now you're already scared of whatever noises you hear and stuff. So as a kid, man, I was deathly afraid to lay on my back. I thought, man, if I lay on my back, <gasps> I'm going to get a nightmare. So I'd flip over to my side. And that's the way I spent my childhood, you know. <laughs> you know what's funny is now my wife tells me that. She says, don't lay on your back. Now, she could care less if I have nightmares, okay? I just sound like a buzzsaw when I'm laying on my back. So I just like roll over. In fact, roll over that way, you know. And just, I get elbows in the side all the time. Well, I think this is just an old wives' tale. I don't know. Maybe it's not. So anyways, Jacob strips the bark to resemble the stripes, or to, you know, to show these stripes in the, in the branches. He places them in front of the animals in the watering troughs, and guess what? It worked. Verse 39. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked and speckled and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. So like, again, what's happening here? I don't really know. But what I do know is God's at work. He's intervening and in causing the animals to be born with the recessive gene being the predominant you know, trait. Verse 41. And it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. So now I think he's doing a little bit more of legitimate animal husbandry, right? He's doing a little bit of selective breeding. If he sees one, he goes, you know, that looks like a very healthy animal. He's encouraging them to breed. If it's a weak animal, it's like, you know, he's just, he's not, he's not encouraging them. And as a result, Laban's flock is growing increasingly weak and fewer in number compared with Jacob. And so Jacob, as we said at the end of this chapter, the man's becoming extremely or exceedingly prosperous. And you know what usually happens when someone gets exceedingly prosperous? Someone else gets exceedingly envious and jealous. Look at chapter 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. <clears throat> Listen, I personally believe that the Lord had laid it on, J- on Jacob's heart to go, back to, Padan- or to go back to Canaan. And now, you know, Jacob evidently tarried, you know. He, he, he got this offer to stay and, and, and build up these flocks and stuff. And uh, so now I think the Lord is basically, you know, the Lord wants him to go back. And so now the Lord's allowing things to be a little bit uncomfortable for Jacob. The relationships around him have gone south. I mean, look at the sons of Laban. They're the ones that are supposed to get Laban's inheritance. And they see their inheritance dwindling. So, man, they're getting, they're getting you know, Jacob's not a very good guy in their eyes. They're grumbling and complaining about him. Laban had this plan to take advantage of Jacob, and that plan's backfiring left and right. I mean, he doesn't know. You've got to think. He, he's, a, he's a cheater, right? And he doesn't know. Man, something, he's doing something because somehow Jacob 
is tricking me out of all these flocks. I don't know how he's doing it, but my flocks are dwindling and his flocks are growing. And so he feels like he's the one being conned now. And so he no longer trusts Jacob. And so in the backdrop of all this bad will, I mean, can you imagine Jacob's walking around, everybody's giving him the evil eye, you know, or grumbling or saying something below their breath or whatever. And in the backdrop of all this ill will, the Lord speaks plainly to Jacob and says, Jacob, leave Padan Aram. Verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that is not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. That's a liberal's dream, by the way, right? Complete redistribution of wealth from Laban to Jacob. I mean, okay, Laban probably was the wealthiest 1% in Padan Aram, right? He obviously deserved, I'm being facetious, but anyways. So Jacob here, he calls Rachel and Leah by themselves out to the field, you know, away from the tents. There's a lot of people around. He doesn't want, you know, listening ears to hear what's going on. He doesn't want word to get back to Laban, but he wants to lay out the situation to his two wives. And so he says to them, you know, you know, I've been hardworking. You know how honest I've been working for your father. And every time your father tries to change his wages. And here, you know, Jacob, here's the deceiver, right? And he's complaining about being deceived and, and tricked by Laban. He says, your father's changed my wages 10 times. And I can just picture it, you know. Uh, Jacob's, you know, he's starting, maybe, maybe there's a lot more speckled sheep. And so Laban says, okay, you keep the brown and the streak, but now the speckled are mine. So, you know, what can Jacob do? So it's a new agreement. But then all of a sudden Jacob starts getting more brown and streaked. And then Laban's like, oh, I, I tell you what. You keep the speckled, and now you give me the brown and the streak. You know, it's probably going on and on and on and on. And no matter what Laban does, God's just blessing Jacob left and right. Jacob says, no matter what your father wanted to give, uh, wanted, would it, excuse me, no matter what your father wanted to keep, God would give me the opposite. And you know, at this point, it's obvious, or it's becoming obvious to Jacob that it's not his scheming or his striving that's making the difference. Because, I mean, every time the thing changes, every time there's a new, a new agreement, you know, he probably can't connive a new you know it's he's limited how many times you can kind of make things work for yourself he's basically getting to the end of his rope and, it, and it's like he can't do anything and yet god's blessing him i think god allowed him allowed jacob to have his wages to change 10 times to the point where it's just impossible for jacob to do anything about it it's like man here i go again and yet god was blessing him. Verse 10, And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see. All the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. So now God is in showing Jacob in a dream that he's the one who's been causing these animals with the recessive genes to be born. And he tells Jacob, Jacob, 
I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. You know, maybe you're in a situation where you feel like somebody's really taking advantage to you, advantage of you. You're crying out, Lord, man, don't you see what those people are doing? Well, the answer is yes. The Lord sees what's going on. And he tells Jacob, Jacob, I'm the God of Bethel. Now, that was 20 years before when God revealed himself to, to Jacob at Bethel. 20 years ago, that was where there was the staircase. Remember the staircase with the angels ascending and descending and the Lord standing at the top. And it was basically communicating to Jacob that God's messengers, his angels, they had been working on Jacob's behalf long before Jacob even realized it. God had been working in his life. Jacob didn't even have a clue that he was. He says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, where you made a vow to me. Do you remember Jacob's vow? Maybe not, but let me read it to you. It says, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread and to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. That was his vow. God says, do you remember your vow? How about you guys? Do you remember when you gave your heart to the Lord for the very first time? Do you remember how it felt? Do you remember how just excited you were about the Lord? You see, Jacob may have forgotten about that vow at this point, but the Lord didn't forget. Jesus doesn't forget those things. Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus, and he had, he said, he had some good things to say about him, but he had one thing. He said, you've left your first love. Man, go back. Repent. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Man, for you guys, man, remember what it was like when you first gave your heart back to the Lord. How excited you were about the Lord. How you just, you just couldn't, you couldn't get enough of the Bible. You couldn't get enough of coming in and being in fellowship with saints. Jesus remembers your heart then. He loved it. He loves you now, of course. And God, what did God promise to Jacob at Bethel? He said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and God of I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you wherever and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. That was God's promise to Jacob 20 years earlier. Jacob evidently didn't understand God's grace. God's grace is his unmerited, unearned favor. Jacob also didn't fully trust in God's ability to fulfill his promises. So what did Jacob do? He toiled at peeling the tree bark, you know, trying to turn an unfair advantage into his favor. He schemed on a way to get the strong and healthy goats by doing some selective uh, breeding. And you know, you and I, we've, we've got the Bible story, right? We can look back, we can read the, the beginning of Jacob's life, we can read the end. We have the luxury of seeing the rest of the story. But Jacob didn't have that luxury. Jacob, we, know, we go, man, Jacob, you didn't need to toil and to scheme to get God's, to gain an advantage. But you know what? How many of us <laughs> were just like that, right? We get into a tough situation. It's like, man, I don't know if I can really trust God in this situation. I mean, this is new. I've never experienced, I don't know if God can deal with this. Or, you know, I need to turn it around by myself. I need to, I need to pick myself up on my bootstraps and I need to make this happen. 
We're just like Jacob, face it. And so God tells Jacob, Jacob, now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. And so Jacob tells Rachel and Leah about this encounter with God. Verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to them, said to him, is there, any, uh, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. That dowry, you know, he worked seven years for each wife. That dowry should have gone to Rachel and Leah at some point. But Laban kept it for himself. In addition to Rachel and Leah, we find out Laban had other sons. And so that inheritance, whatever was left, the inheritance would most likely go to them. And so Rachel and Leah, man, they see their father for who he is. And they realize there's really no benefit for them staying there. So they consent to leave. You know what's interesting? That's a male-dominated patriarchal society right there, right? You know, it's interesting to me that Jacob heard from the Lord but he still takes the time to go and make sure his wives are on board with his decision to leave. Solomon said this in Proverbs eleven fourteen: where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Listen, there are times when a husband or a father, you hear a word from the Lord, and you need to make an unpopular decision on behalf of the family because that's, that's what leaders do. You, you need to do that. But men don't have the monopoly on discernment and wisdom. You know, I'll be honest with you. There have been times where I thought, well, okay, this is what we need to do. And, I, and I've told my wife, this is what we need to do. And she's like, well, wait a minute. Have you considered this? And, and I'll be honest with you. There have been many times where I was like, no, I hadn't considered that. And, you know, I was wrong. And listening to my wife basically spared me a lot of embarrassment and in some cases, heartache. And the reason why I bring that up, it's, not, it's kind of like a side note here, but the reason why I bring it up is, as a pastor, I've seen both extremes. I've seen men with no backbone that will not make a decision. They just basically leave it to their wives and their wives make the decisions because, you know, that's just, that's, they just, they've given over, they've surrendered their God-given role of leadership to the wife. That's not good. But I've also seen the other side of that. I've seen men who are all bone and no brain, right? I mean, it's just like they possibly, they're so thick. There's like, man, I'm the one, I'm the one that's supposed to hear from the Lord and what I say goes. And, and they don't even consult with their wives and, and they just make these decisions. Both cases are wrong. I really believe that firmly. And so here, Jacob, he talks to his wives, and what a blessing. He shares what the Lord's laid on his heart, and his wife said, man, if the Lord's told you to do it, go for it. That's awesome to have your wife right alongside you saying, go for it. What a blessing. My, I know my wife's done that for me many times. She goes, go for it. That's worth a few points, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> all right, verse 17. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. 
What's this deal about these household idols? Well, they were small uh, pagan, uh, they were small images used in pagan religion. And, and if we go to the book of Acts, you don't have to turn there, but Stephen's testimony before the Sanhedrin, he reveals that Abraham and his extended family, they were idolaters in Mesopotamia. And so Laban, evidently, he knew about God, and yet he was still worshiping idols. And it's very possible, excuse me, it's very possible here that Rachel possibly also worshipped idols. Either that or she was just, you know, stealing, taking them from her father was maybe her way of, like, getting back at dad because, you know, know, he's ripping us off, so we're going to rip him off. You know, the Bible says that Rachel was very beautiful on the outside, but it sounds like maybe she wasn't all that pretty on the inside. <clears throat> the good news in this story is later, and we'll get to chapter 35 in a little while from now. No, I'm just kidding. It, later on, when we get to chapter 35, Jacob's going to instruct his family, as a godly man should, to put away their idols, and they're going to bury them at Bethel. No more idols. So that's the good news. It's going to change there. But at this point, he doesn't even know that Rachel's stolen them. <clears throat> and by the way, in that culture, stealing someone's household idols was a capital offense. Verse 22, and Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And I was looking at that, and apparently, evidently, it means from good to bad, or it could be translated that way. Um, In other words, the Lord's telling Jacob, like, Jacob, don't speak good to his face and then stab him in the back, which that was basically Laban's operating, you know, it's a standard operating procedure. Verse 25, so Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tents in the mountains and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you've stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters ca- like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? <clears throat> He's like, why did you steal away secretly? I would have thrown a party for you. Yeah, right. Probably would have been a lynching party, right? Um, and he's like, it's in my power to harm you. Well, no, it's not. Because God said, if you lay your finger on him, you're dead meat, you know. So it wasn't within his power. But, you know, that's the way, that's the way con men talk, right? They make you feel like, you know, they're in control. Um, But then he says, but why did you steal my gods? Now, just a word of advice, man. If someone can steal your gods, that's not a god worth worshiping, okay? (laughs) If they can steal your gods, you're in trouble, okay? Verse 31. Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let them live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Listen, based on Laban's past actions towards Jacob, 
it's understandable why he left secretly, right? I mean, it was like Laban might have even have killed him. He definitely probably would have taken away the flocks, maybe even taken away his wife. So, so leaving secretly, I, you know, we, I can just, I can understand that. But making that bold statement regarding letting anyone die if they're caught with Laban's idols is rash. I mean, first of all, he doesn't know, you know, he can, he can, maybe he can speak for his wives or his children, but he's got servants. I mean, he doesn't really know. And so it's dangerous to make a statement like that. And if you want a backup for that, just ask Jephthah. And that's in the book of Judges, okay, chapter 11. Don't turn there. Maybe today you write it down, Judges 11. Check that out. Uh, Jephthah, and what's fascinating about that, he made a rash vow at exact the same physical, la- physical location where Jacob and, and Laban are making this rash vow, what place would be known as Mizpah later. It's fascinating. There's probably a Bible study in there somewhere. Verse 33. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And he said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. Then Jacob became, uh, was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin? What have you so hotly, uh, in that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. Now listen, to be fair to Laban, he had just been ripped off, right? And it happened, <clears throat> excuse me, it happened the same time as Jacob's unannounced departure. I mean, it's like, ho, ho, you know, Jacob's gone. And by the way, your household idols are gone at the same time. There already was bad blood <clears throat> between Laban and his sons and Jacob. So, you know, Laban wasn't making an unfound wild accusation here. <clears throat> but at this point, Jacob's had just about enough of Laban that he can handle, and he calls him on it. The problem is, Jacob's making a judgment without all the facts. I don't know if you've ever, in fact, I'm I'm sure none of you have ever done that, made a judgment without all the facts. But let me tell you a story of one time when I did that once. And I'm not proud of it, but we used to, our church used to be over by 2nd Street, by St. Mary's. And I remember on Wednesday nights, you know, get in the car. Teresa wasn't with me. She probably doesn't even know this story because I wasn't really proud of it. But um, so I get in a car and I'm driving down the highway and I'm just getting ready to, and it was earlier in the evening, probably 5.30 or 6. So there's this rush hour traffic and stuff. And I'm getting ready to turn off the off ramp to go to the street where our church was. And in my rearview mirror, a number of cars back, I see this really fancy Porsche. And it's weaving in between cars, and it's honking its horns, and it's, and it's making its way, and it's getting up right behind me. And I'm like, what a jerk, man. What a rich, yuppie jerk, you know? And I'm thinking, I'm not going to move over for this guy. Forget it, man. And so I'm just staying in my lane while the guy was waving and honking, and I'm like, oh, whatever. So then, so then I started pulling over slowly, and I, I kind of do that sometimes. I pull over slowly. The guy who gets around me, and as he's getting around me, I look at his face, because I was going to give him a, look, a dirty look. Like, you know, I look at his face, and man, he wasn't paying attention to anyone around him. He had this frantic look on his face. And all of a sudden, <coughs> excuse me, and all of a sudden, 
the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. This was a doctor. He was trying to get to the hospital. I, I knew it was. He was trying to get to the hospital, probably to save someone's life, because that happens. You know, you call an emergency surgery or whatever, and he's a rich guy. Obviously, he's driving a nice Porsche and everything. But I thought, well, I could have, I could have slowed him down. In fact, I did slow him down. I'm like, Lord, forgive me. Skip. Making a judgment without all the facts. You've got to be careful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Don't want me to get choked up here, but it bothered me. Anyways. But like I said, you guys have probably never done anything like that. <laughs> so anyways, Jacob makes this, makes this uh, judgment without all the facts. And, uh, and now Jacob feels, man, I've got nothing to lose. <laughs> so he unloads both barrels of Laban. Look at verse 38. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night. And my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years. I served you fourteen years for your daughters and six years for your flock. You have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. You know why Jacob is so irked by Laban? It's not just because Laban is a dirt and dirty, rotten scoundrel, which, which he is, but Laban is a magnified reflection of Jacob. He's a magnified reflection of him. You know, it's really easy for me to spot my sin in you. It's so easy. I can spot it, man. But it's very hard for me to see that same sin in myself. Paul said in Romans 2.21, You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourselves? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor, excuse me, who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? That's what Paul said. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? And I think God is just using Laban to show Jacob what's in his own heart. Just revealing it to him. God sees the, 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 the conniving and the, the striving and everything that Jacob's been doing. And so God's giving Jacob this upfront, larger-than-life picture of himself. So he'll get sick of that. Because God wants to change Jacob. He wants to transform him. Verse 43. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. (laughs) But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap. Laban called it, uh, that whatever that name is, Jegger something or other. But Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore its name was called Galid, also Mizpah. Because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me if when we are absent from one, uh, excuse me, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, 
God is witness between you and me. You know, years ago, when we were first married, I think it was, I think I got it from my wife, but I got these Mizpah coin. You guys ever heard of the Mizpah coin? It's a little coin. It's got, it's a kind of like a coin that's broken in half. And, and, and so she would have a coin and I would have a coin, right? And we'd wear it. And, and it's got that part of that verse on it. May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. That's so, that's cool, right? It's so romantic. It's so sentimental, but it's out of context, okay? <laughs> because basically what, Jake, what Laban is saying, man, if you afflict my daughters, now listen, Jacob, there's no evidence that Jacob ever mistreated his wives. It was Laban who basically spent all their dowry. But Jacob, Laban says, if you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives beside my daughters, listen, Jacob never wanted two wives, he never did. He, wanted, he loved Rachel. He wanted to marry. He thought he was marrying Rachel. Laban tricked him and had him marry Leah and Rachel. And so Laban is like, if you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives besides myself, God is, you know, I can't watch you, but God's my witness. You know, he's going to take care of you. Come on, give me a break. Verse 51. Then Laban said to Jacob, <clears throat> here is this heap and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread, and they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. So this agreement that they made is basically, I don't trust you, <clears throat> and you don't trust me. Let's make a covenant that neither of us are going to hurt each other. I mean, that's basically what it boils down to. Verse 55. And early in the morning, <clears throat> Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. I don't know if you caught that there. He kissed his grandsons. Man, he loves his grandchildren. He kissed his daughters what about Jacob? <laughs> you know, basically, I'm sure that they probably totally ignored each other and the feeling was mutual between them. You know, I mean, there's, there's no love loss there. Laban's going to kind of disappear out of the story now. The story's going to continue with Jacob. And this here was a great lesson for Jacob to learn about God's grace, his faithfulness and his ability to keep his promises. You know, Jacob didn't need to strive and try to outmaneuver King Khan. God fought the battle for him. Unfortunately for Jacob, he hasn't quite got the lesson totally yet. He has one more important trial to face before he finally lets go and completely trusts in the Lord. And we'll look at that next week. Listen, maybe you're here today, and like I mentioned earlier, maybe you're in an unfair situation. You know, I mean, we get cheated, right? People, we live in a sinful, fallen world, and people take advantage of us, you know, sometimes even Christians. But, you know, we're, people cheat us sometimes. Maybe there's a Laban in your life. As a, we've been going through the story, you're thinking of, I know, I mean, you could substitute this name for Laban, basically. Maybe it's not even a person. Maybe you're dealing with a physical ailment. You know, you, you feel like you're being dealt an unfair hand. It's like, why did God, why are you allowing this, God? I want to encourage you this morning. First of all, God sees, okay? He sees what you're going through. Secondly, if you have a personal relationship with the Lord, he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. So he sees you. He knows what you're going through. He's with you if you're a believer. And finally, he's for you. 
And if God is for us, Paul says, man, who can be against us? How do I know that God's for you? Because we're going to celebrate communion this morning. Okay? Communion. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to strive to earn God's love and his favor. You don't have to do any, you don't have to like, maybe I can manipulate God into loving me. And you know, you don't have to do that. He paid the price for you on the cross. He died for your sins. He loves you. He's for you this morning. So I hope you're encouraged this morning. Okay, the worship team.